0: The scripture this morning will be from Psalms 19, verse 7 through 11. That's page 489 on the Pew Bibles. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." It really doesn't make much difference in what country you live. Teenagers have challenges. And you can probably think back in your own life, if you're a teenager right now, you can think of challenges that you face. This week, however, there was a teenage girl named Rashida who faced a challenge most of us probably can't imagine. See, she lives in Pakistan, and 15 years ago, her father had incurred a great amount of gambling debt. In fact, he had incurred so much debt, it was over $300 when converted to American money, he had no idea where he was going to turn to get that payment. And so he promised the only valuable asset he had left. He told the person to whom he owed the money that his two-year-old daughter, Rashida, would be his when she got old enough. And so 15 years later... She's fighting that battle. Her father has since passed away and, and law enforcement has stepped in and it seems that uh, it won't be necessary for her to make any kind of, of decision against her will. But as we think about such a, such a controversial story that's been all over the, the news, that's been all over the worldwide national, and national attention, it brings to mind a, a fact that probably all of us know, whether we think about it or not. There are some things in life That are just priceless. And there you can see Rashida and her mother as they're trying to make this decision. There are some things in life that are just priceless. You can't quantify and put a monetary amount on a human life. There are some things you just can't put a price tag on. This morning we're going to look at something that's priceless. We're going to look at something that you can't put a price tag on. You can't put a monetary amount on. You can't decide that it's worth a specific amount of money. The psalmist describes the word of God as something that's beyond price. Something that's beyond our sense of of human value. There is no amount of riches or wealth on earth that could be traded for the Word of God. And as we think about these thoughts, I wish you'd turn with me to the 19th Psalm. We'll begin here in verse 1 in just a moment. And while you're turning there, let me encourage all of you who are visiting with us. Let you know that we're excited you're here. It's our Bible class emphasis day. Uh, We hope you'll be able to stay with us for class. We hope you'll be able to stay later and to have a meal with your class. And uh, we are excited to have you here. And hopefully, our time together this morning in study might even answer some questions you have about why we get together. Why do we spend an extra hour of our time when everything's said and done to study God's Word on a Sunday morning? Why do we come together on Wednesday to study God's Word? Why would we do that? If if you're visiting with us, you may have that question. If you are preparing to go into a class of children, ranging from two to five-year-olds... You might be wondering that same question. Why do we spend an hour in Bible class when these kids, you know, won't stay in their seat and they're so excited and enthusiastic? You might have that question running through your mind. And so this morning, as we focus on the words of the psalmist, we're going to be reminded of why the Bible is so priceless. Why it's such a treasure. And before we read that, I want to remind us of something made famous by UCLA coach John Wooden. And you're probably familiar with the name he created a a dynasty in college basketball with the UCLA Bruins. And he's famous worldwide for his coaching, his leadership ability. And you can imagine that after the first few championships had been won, the young men that were coming to be a part of Coach Wooden's team would have been very accomplished athletes in high school. I mean, these are all Americans. These are guys who had tremendous records in high school athletics. And they come together, and there's one thing that Coach Wooden would do at the very beginning of the season, the very first practice, And it wasn't a rebounding drill, and it wasn't a shooting drill. He would teach all of them how to tie their shoes. They would have a lesson. He would sit down. They would all untie their shoes. He would have a lesson on how to put your shoes on and how to tie them. And the message behind it was very simple. It didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter what you had done. In order to win on this team, you were going to have to learn the fundamentals. You had to run to play basketball, and before you could run, you had to know how to tie your shoes. You had to have the fundamentals. Down pat, And we know that's true. We know that whether you're playing elementary school basketball or professional level, you're going to have to have your shoes tied. You're going to have to know how to master the fundamentals. This morning, as we think about this psalm, the psalmist is really sharing with us a fundamental concept that's so basic to our faith, and yet we're always going to need it. We're always going to use it. And so this morning, as we study from this psalm, just picture in your mind that it's, it's the first practice, and no matter where we've came, come from, if you've been a, a Christian for four days or for 40 years, all of us are coming together and we're focusing on something fundamental. We're focusing on the Word of God. Let's begin by reading verse 1, and that will introduce the concepts that are going to begin in verse 7. Verse 1 of Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language which their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has said, Tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. The psalmist here is describing in these six verses God's natural creation. Using this poetic language to describe the world that exists around us. The psalmist is telling us that the heavens that we see outside are declaring God's glory. The skies outside are proclaiming the work of God's hands. In other words, you and I could walk out and we could look at the stars at night. Or we can look at the sun during the day. And we can know that there is a creator. We can just look at the creation and know that it exists for a reason, for a purpose, that there's a creator who put all of that into place. But then in verse 7, he gets a little more specific. Verses 1 through 6, he talked about the natural revelation, uh, a sermon that that nature preaches without using any words, giving us a message about God. Now he's going in verse 7 to talk about God's specific message. Because I can look outside and I can know a creator exists, but I can't know what that creator wants from me unless I read his word. And he's going to use six different ways to, to talk about God's word. Six different descriptions. And we get sort of a, a shade of, of different meaning behind each one. We get a, a complete picture of God's word by looking at these six descriptions altogether. And so let's begin in verse 7. And let's look at the six ways he describes God's word. Verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting or reviving the soul. So in other words, God's law is blameless. It's perfect. Mankind can't come up with another law or another set of rules that would rival God's. It's perfect. And it also converts or revives our soul. There's a fulfillment we have in following God's law. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Not only is it perfect, but it's also reliable. It's sure. It's going to be there. And it makes wise the simple. And so it doesn't matter how smart we are by earthly standards. If we want to be truly wise... We're going to have to know God's word. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The statutes of the Lord are just, and we're going to rejoice when we understand them. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In other words, when we study God's message, we will never look at life the same way again. Our eyes are going to be enlightened. We're going to be looking through a different set of lenses, and we're going to see our entire life differently. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And this word clean, as we think about the, the thought of the fear of the Lord being clean, it's, it's free from any kind of other influence. In other words, in the Old Testament, it would be free from any worship of idols. In the New Testament, it might be free from pagan worship. In our lives, it might be free from, from materialism or greed or any other temptation we face. When it's clean, the fear of the Lord will endure forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. And so we see in these six different ways the psalmist extols the word of God and describes why it's so important. And then look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Now we don't have to look very far to, to understand how gold would be valuable. And especially in the Old Testament times, that would have been the most valuable metal possible. In fact, it's interesting when King Solomon's kingdom is described in the book of 1 Kings chapter 10, one of the ways his riches is described is by telling the reader how much gold Solomon had. In fact, he had a palace in the forest of Lebanon in which his throne was made of gold, in which the goblets he drank out of were made of gold, in which every article in that palace was made from gold. And that helps us understand the riches that Solomon possessed. In fact, the writer tells us in verse 14 of that chapter that he received 666 talents of gold each year that was constantly coming in. And yet the psalmist here is letting us know that you can think of all the gold in Solomon's palace and that still wouldn't equal the value of God's word. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement. There's no amount of riches, material wealth that would equal the value of God's word. And he goes even a step further, saying sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Not just the honey, but the honey straight from the comb, straight from the source. Now, this is a term we might not use as often. But when we look through the Old Testament, we see honey often referred to as something that tasted sweet. You may remember that the promised land was referred to as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a sweet taste. And the psalmist is telling us nothing tastes as sweet as the word of God. There's no taste in our mouths we can, we can think of that would match how sweet it is to know God's word, to study it, and to do it. And so as we see all of these descriptions the psalmist gives, the first thing we can understand about God's word is that it's a treasure. Why do we study the Bible together? Why do we have our Bible class emphasis day where we focus on God's word? It's because the Bible is a treasure. God's word is a treasure. Have you ever wondered why it's a treasure? Why does the psalmist seem to place such value on God's word? Well, there are many reasons This morning, I'd like for us to think of just a few reasons. Number one, the Bible is a treasure because of the one who wrote it. The Bible is a treasure because of its author. Think back to those first six verses in the 19th Psalm when you look and see evidence of a creator all around you. What if you knew there was a message written by that creator? Not only did God create us, but he loved us enough to communicate with us and to tell us exactly what he wants. In 2001... I was able to spend the summer here interning with the youth group. And my second day here, the only two people I knew in Mount Juliet, Catherine and Amy Pickler was then, is now Amy Fowler, got on a plane and flew to Brazil. And so I was stuck in a new place. I hadn't gotten to meet everybody yet, and I was still getting to know people. And Catherine would send me emails for that six-week time period from Brazil. And I remember with the time difference, they would usually come in about 10 or 10.30 at night. And if you've ever been in a similar situation, you know the kind of anticipation, the kind of eagerness you have when you're receiving communication from someone that you love. It was something I looked forward to every night, to go in and see what was happening, to see what was taking place. And you know that feeling when you open a mailbox and you see a letter in there, or, or you open up your inbox and you see that someone sent you a message? It's, it's that excited feeling because it's a message from someone that you love, and the, the author of that, of that message is sending something special to you. When we think of God's Word, when is the last time we had that same excitement in reading what God has to say to us? When's the last time we experienced that same thrill? The Bible is a treasure because of the one who wrote it. It's also a treasure because of its message. Because the Bible shows us the way that we can spend an eternity with this Creator. The way that we we can be saved from sin. The Bible shows us our own faults, our own shortcomings, our own sins, and yet provides us a way that through God's mercy and grace, if we obey him, we can spend an eternity with him. It's also a treasure because of its inspiration. Now, just think about this for a moment. The Bible was written by 40 men over a period of 1600 years, different cultures, three different languages, different jobs, everything from a shepherd to a physician. And yet you have one unified message in God's word. Over that many uh, years, over, over this many hands being inspired to write down these words, you have one message. That could only be the work of our creator. It could only be the work of God. So the Bible is a treasure because it's inspired. It's also a treasure because it is endured. It's, it's indestructible. Over the years, people have tried to ban it. People have tried to outlaw it. Years ago, there was a French philosopher named Voltaire that we may have read about in our history books. He made a statement that within 100 years, Christianity would be wiped out from the face of the earth. In other words, it would be non-existent. Within 100 years, within 50 years of his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house and used his house and his printing press to produce Bibles that were then shipped all over the world. You see, mankind has always prophesied that the Bible would fail, uh, that God's Word would fail, and yet it continues to endure. It's a treasure because it's, it's indestructible. It's a message from God that will endure throughout the centuries. It continues to be the best-selling book ever written. It continues to be the most widely read book ever written. It continues to be the book translated into the most languages. God is constantly keeping His Word in our lives. It's constantly going to endure. And so we think about the treasure That exists in the Bible. And we're also going to see something else here in the final verse that we're looking at this morning. In verse 11. Let's read this together. Moreover, by them, by the word of God, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Not only is the Bible something we should treasure. But the Bible is also something that's going to teach us. That's going to train us. The Bible is not just a treasure. It's also a trainer for us. Someone that's going to, something that's going to help us grow, that's going to help us mature spiritually. It's a trainer for us because it teaches us, it searches us, it, it helps us grow. We're constantly learning more about God's Word. Now, in order to help us truly understand this concept, I've asked Guy, if you would, Guy, if you would come on up here. Guy Graves is probably not a stranger to most of you. He and Missy attend the church in Gladeville, they visit with us occasionally. So I want Guy to stand right here by me. I wanted you to see an example of someone who is physically trained. And, you know, athletes like Guy and myself are really hard to come by. And so I just wanted you to, you may not know it, we do work out at the same place. I know you probably can't tell. But as we think about, as we think about someone who's trained, it doesn't take long to realize there's a difference between Guy and myself. And so if I, want, if I look at someone who's, who's physically fit or physically trained, it's one thing for me to think that's valuable and to think, you know... I'd like to look like that. But as you can imagine, if I wanted to look like Guy, and you're probably thinking, good luck with that. But if I wanted to look like Guy, there would be some steps I have to take. It's not just an idea of getting a a value in my mind that I think I should do that. Guy would have to train me. He'd have to show me what exercises I was supposed to do. He'd have to show me, you know, how I was supposed to do them, what I was supposed to eat. I'd have to make a lot of changes in my life. And so as we think about someone who's physically trained, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we're constantly changing our lives to try to be more like that image we have in our mind. So I appreciate that guy. You can go ahead and, and, uh, and have a seat. I appreciate him being here because I think that paints a good visual picture. And you don't get to the point where a guy is by accident. And think about the understanding of that principle. We understand that principle in every aspect of life, don't we? You don't get to be successful in business by accident. You don't get to be successful in your occupation by accident. And you don't get to grow spiritually by accident. It has to be intentional. And Paul tells us a really important passage about the scripture when we think about Second Timothy 3.16. He gives us a real key here to understanding how we can be trained. All scripture, he would say in verse 16, is given by inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in Righteousness. Now, I want us to pause right there. I want us to look at the four different things that God's Word can do for us. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching. God's Word can teach us. It's profitable for reproof, for rebuking. In other words, if we're going in the wrong direction, there are some things in God's Word that are going to rebuke us. For correction, if I've got a misunderstanding, the Bible is going to correct me. And even for instruction, the Bible is going to tell me how to live. Now, that to me sounds like an ideal trainer, doesn't it to you? If you were to go in and to see someone that Guy was training in his fitness center, you would see him not only show them how to do the exercise, but you'd see him give encouragement when they were doing well. When they wanted to give up, he'd keep them from giving up. He'd show them how to do all those exercises just right. When we have a trainer, we have someone who's constantly helping us grow. You see, spiritually, God's Word does that for us. God, through His Word, helps us to grow. And if I want to get to a point where I'm spiritually fit, where I'm spiritually strong... I'm going to have to understand the doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction Paul's talking about here. Now look at the result of these four things in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If I want to get to that completion stage, if I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, I'm going to have to go through verse 16. I I can't skip to verse 17 without going through verse 16. I can't skip to the end result without putting in the time and allowing God's word to shape And to mold my life. We can probably all think of people we know that are spiritual giants in our lives. That are spiritually mature. That are are people we admire for their knowledge of God's word. And the way they live their lives. Did you know they didn't get to that place in life by accident? It didn't happen unintentionally. And there are people we look at and think, boy I wish I could be like him. I wish I could have a life that was like hers. Well, we can. We've been given the same trainer. We've been given the same guide. Our job is to do everything we can to instill that in our lives. If we were going to train ourselves to get physically fit, we'd set up a training regimen. And so as we think about the Bible as our trainer, we realize that it teaches us, it searches us, it helps us grow. And we never arrive in our knowledge. I want you to think about that for a second. And this may speak to more of us who have been Christians for years and years. We never arrive in our knowledge. I never reach a point in my life where I no longer have to study God's Word. I never reach a point where I completely get it, where I can completely understand it. I'm constantly going to have to be in God's Word, be spending time with it, be studying it. Paul, in fact, in that same book, gives us a really interesting glimpse into his life. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 13, just one chapter over from where we were reading, He's giving Timothy these final instructions. Now, this would be written at the, at the end of Paul's life, towards the end of his life. And so we see that he is, he's aging, he's getting older, and he's giving these instructions to Timothy. And tucked away here in these instructions is something very interesting. He says, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and the books, especially the parchments. Now, he doesn't go into very much detail here. Uh, many have speculated that this would have been some, these would have been some copies of the Old Testament law, Old Testament scripture. But whatever the case, isn't it interesting that Paul at this point in his life is still not ready to stop growing? If anyone could have coasted through the end of his life, it would have been Paul, wouldn't it? Uh, Paul started out, he had a, an, a, a grade A education in a university of their time in his hometown. Not only that, but after he left his hometown, he began studying under Jewish teachers like Gamaliel. And he began to be an up-and-coming uh, up leader in the sect of the Pharisees, a very strict religious sect that, that demanded knowledge of the law. And not only that, but when he became a Christian and started to preach, God used him to pen many of the books of the New Testament. So if there's anyone that could come to the end of his life and just coast through the rest of it, it would be Paul. And yet he's still wanting to read, he's still wanting to reflect, and we see that desire to still be growing spiritually in his relationship with God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all have that desire? If we never stopped growing. If we always wanted to be closer to God. Well, as we think about the treasure that we have in God's Word and the way that it trains us, I want to ask you a question. What steps will we take as a result of this morning to spend more time in God's precious Word? You see, we know we can't put a price tag on God's Word. But sometimes we do, don't we? And the way we decide to spend our time... Sometimes we'll trade our time in God's Word for something else. Sure, we know this is priceless, but maybe there's something else we were wanting to do. Or something else we were were wanting to watch, another hobby we wanted to be engaged in. And and none of those things are bad, but when we start to trade God's Word for those things, that's when the trouble begins. When we start to take something that's priceless and, and trade it for something else, we're not making an even trade. It's not a good deal. And as the psalmist would tell us, there is no amount of wealth and there's nothing that tastes as sweet as God's Word. And so if you look at the pew rack in front of you, there, there should be some, some purple index cards in there. And uh, if, if you don't have a purple index card, you might could use a, a membership card or something else. Here's what I want to, to challenge us to do. I want you to grab one of those cards, if you can, grab one of those, and just think of one thing you can do from this morning forward. One thing you can do to help grow in your, your time in studying God's Word. If we could all leave here with a commitment of, of one way in which we're going to do that. If you're visiting with us, maybe your goal can just be to come back to Bible class again. to so maybe come back and visit to spend more time studying God's word. If if you are involved in a Bible class, maybe there's some time during the day you want to set aside. Let's Let's think of one specific thing that we can do and just sort of put it in your Bible. I know when we have our prayer cards, if I put it in my Bible, I'm a lot more likely to see it, to remember it to keep it in my mind. So let's just, just jot down one thing and put it in your Bible. And just this week, try to, try to stick to that. And try to make it specific rather than just you know, read the Bible more. Think of a time of day you want to read it or, or a certain book that you'd want to read out of the Bible. Something you want to get through. Just, just jot that down. Keep that with you. That's just between you and God. That's something just for our own encouragement. And as we think about that, let's all challenge ourselves. I know the words of the psalmist challenge me. I, I, we're all in the same boat here. I don't claim to have it all together as we think about God's Word. But let's all leave here challenged. Because there are some things you can't put a price tag on. Jesus made an interesting statement in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16, verse 26. He said, What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, not only is God's Word priceless, but Jesus was saying that our souls were priceless. What good would a prophet a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? There's nothing out there. There's no amount of wealth that's worth the loss of a soul. Our souls are precious to God. They're precious to Him. They're priceless. And if we understand the precious nature of our souls, we need to make God's Word precious to us because it's in this Word that He tells us how our souls can spend an eternity with Him. It's because our souls were so precious that He sent His Son, Jesus. It's because our souls are so precious that Jesus died on the cross, that He was raised from the dead. And it's because our souls are so precious that God allows us to turn from our life of sin, to to turn our lives around, to confess His name, to put Him on in baptism, and to start walking in a way that lives according to His Word. To start living life in a way which we can spend an eternity with Him. You want to talk about something that's priceless? An eternity with God is something you can't put a price tag on. And the wonderful news is that God's made that available to us. All we have to do is take advantage of it and to follow His Word. Whatever our stage in life is, let's leave this morning determined to make God's Word more important to us. To keep this fundamental shoe-tying concept of understanding the value of God's Word a main part of our life. And it may be that you're here this morning and you want to do that. Maybe you want to follow God's Word and become a Christian. Or maybe you feel like you've lived a life that hasn't been in accordance with His Word and you want to come back. If you want to make that decision or any other decision we can help you with, please come as we stand and sing together.